just before I speak, I would like to show a, a video on uh, another video, sorry, on, on China. I've got very interesting things after this video to tell you about China. Thank you. The
it's all because of one man, one man who went and, and decided to go. But then a group of women standing with him in prayer and bound the forces that were there and the light came down. There's a wonderful book on it called Mount Moran Indians. Just it's, if, if you're into missionary stories, or time. Praise God. Well, isn't that amazing? That just one person uh, who, who responded to God's call was able to convert the whole tribe, whole Lisu people, hundreds of thousands of people have come to the Lord as a result of that. And so God continues to use people. Uh, he just needs one person sometimes to really impact thousands of people. And so today we are going to focus on the topic of China. And um, let's see if it... Yeah, okay. So we are talking about mission of China. But before we could uh, talk more about China, we need to understand a little bit about the history of China. We, we need to understand the kind of early founding of China, the early dynasties of China. There is the Xia uh, dynasty, my pronunciation of it may not be quite correct, I'm not Chinese uh, uh, speak, speaker, but uh, there's the Shang dynasty, Zhao, and Western Zhao, Eastern Zhao, many others. Before we come to the Qin dynasty, this is the uh, dynasty of uh, Shi Huangti, I think, right? And, and he was the one who really turned China into idolatry because they uh, began in, to delve into um, uh, idol worship, into ancestral worship and things like that. But before uh, the Qin dynasty, dynasty started, uh, the early dynasties of China were worshippers of the one God called Shangti, which is the heavenly God, and we'll see more about that in a moment. Now, what's the link between the Tower of Babel and the origin of China? Just over 100 years after the flood, evil abounded again and because of sin in people's lives. And as the Bible tells us, the earth was divided. This occurred at the Tower of Babel when God confounded the languages and the people were scattered all over the world. The Tower of Babel incident occurred around 224-7 BC. And soon after this, the Chinese history begins. So we can see a correlation between the Tower of Babel incident and the establishment of the Chinese uh, civilization. And it occurred because uh, the people were divided into various language groups and of course the Chinese people uh, or so became Chinese. They migrated to uh, China and founded their civilization. And the, the first dynasty uh, was called the Xia uh, dynasty. And there is a carving here of the eight immortals. Have you heard of the eight immortals of, of the Chinese religion? They are actually in a boat, and this is a, a replica of that uh, carving, of uh, a Noah's Ark replica, um, showing eight people in a boat. And, and they have made them immortal. So they've immortalized them. They call them the eight immortals. And so today, they've become gods, sort of. But actually, right at the beginning, uh, they understood the story of uh, the ark with eight people in it. That's why the Chinese word, and I'm not, I'm not a Chinese scholar by any way, but I've, I've read a, a lot about it, that the Chinese script, the, word, the Chinese word for ship or boat is eight mouths in a vessel. So how did they manage to um, get this concept of eight mouths, or eight mouth stands for people, all right? Chinese is all about eating. It's all about mouth eating. And so eight mouths, eight people, where you have a mouth, you have a people. And eight mouths in a boat, 
um, it's, it's because the Chinese people came from uh, the Tower of Babel, and, and you will see later on that uh, at that time when the Tower of Babel incident happened, Noah, who lived many hundreds of years, I think 300-something years after the flood, was still alive. And he would be able to tell uh, the story uh, uh, from the beginning because it was handed down, oral tradition handed down. And so these people who went uh, to China would have carried this story. And there is actually a story of a flood in China. But uh, the liberal people who don't believe in God uh, would uh, say that that flood is a local flood. But actually, it was a worldwide flood. And, and so, that flood story even carried into China itself. Now, the Chinese, you will see Chinese being termed in various, by various words. One is called Sinim. They are called Sinim or Sino, you know, Sino-U.S. relations. So, Sino or Sino uh, indicates Chinese. Sino means China. Or it can be termed as sin. Uh, sometimes it's spelled as S-I-N, <laughs> uh, but it's sometimes spelled as C-I-N. And that, way, that word Cathay, you know Cathay Pacific Airlines, Cathay? Cathay means China as well. And, and that's a term used by primarily the uh, Russian people who view the Chinese and they call them Cathay. And there's a lot of etymology to that, which I won't go into. But it's, it's most likely the Sinite people migrating from Babel, found in Genesis chapter 10, verse 17, uh, who migrated to China. It's the Sinites, all right? And the Sinites are descendants from Canaan and from Ham, and refers to that group of the Chinese Asian people uh, who, who moved to the east. According to the Chinese records, uh, the establishment of China's first dynasty, the Xia dynasty, occurred around 2205 BC, about 42 to 205 years after the approximate date of the Tower of Babel, which is located in Babylon, Iraq. From the Bible, we know that Noah lived 350 years, as I was saying before, after the flood. So the founding of China's first dynasty occurred while Noah was still alive. Isn't that interesting? Now we look at the next uh, earliest historical documents or records. I've done some research concerning uh, the Chinese civilization the earliest account of the Chinese Emperor Shun's uh, worship of the triune god Shangti in 2230 BC is recorded in this book called Shu, Shu Qing. Is it? Is, um, Shu Qing. And it's the book of historical documents. It's the earliest uh, records, all right, the um, archaeological findings. This is the earliest book called the Shu Qing. And it is the oldest Chinese historical record. Now in this, uh, in this book, it shows that for many centuries, the emperors recited a prayer very much like the first chapter of Genesis. The Chinese writing in its English translation, this is translated into English, goes something like this. Of all in the beginning, there was a great chaos without form and dark. The five planets had not begun to revolve, nor the sun and the moon to shine. To shine. In the midst thereof, there existed neither forms nor sound. Thou, O spiritual sovereign, came forth in your presidency and first divided the grosser parts from the purer, the separation. Right, You made the heavens and the earth. You made man. All things with their reproductive power came into being. Isn't that very similar to Genesis chapter 1? That it, it was in chaos, there was dark, 
and without form, and God said, let there be light, and so on, and all these things came into being, and then God made uh, the heavens and the earth, and, and He created man at the end with reproductive uh, capacities. So it's uh, very similar. And where, where would they have got this prayer uh, if not from Genesis itself? During that time when they wrote this prayer out, Genesis hadn't been written yet. It's all handed through oral tradition. All right? It's all the same story that's been handed down from Adam to, you know, Adam lived to 900 something years old. And so he was very much alive when the latter people were around. Maybe even when Noah was around or uh, he, he died, of course, subsequently. And then the others came around. So all these stories would have been handed down by Adam, by all the, uh, by Eve and, uh, and even Cain and so on. It, it handed down to, uh, by oral tradition to the Chinese people. That's how they know about this. And there is a temple of heaven in Beijing. How many of you have visited that? Yeah, quite a few as well. Uh, about 118 years after the flood in 2230 BC, the first Chinese ruler of the Xia dynasty built a three-tiered temple of heaven to offer their annual border sacrifice it's called border sacrifice because they have a sacrifice during summer in the north border and then in winter they move down to the south. To Shang, uh, they offer their sacrifice to Shangti. Now this word Shangti in uh, Chinese means the God of heaven, alright? The, the almighty God. And it sounds very similar actually to Shaddai. See, it comes from the Hebrew word Shaddai. Shangdi, Shaddai. You know how things change. And uh, so, El Shaddai means Almighty God, Almighty, Almighty God. So this building, they don't have any idols. They, there's no images of other gods or ancestral worship. It's only to... Shangti or Shaddai, uh, in, uh, and, and this was their first uh, practice in those days, the Sia dynasty. They only worship the God of heaven, El Shaddai or Shangti. And, uh, and, and that shows that the Chinese actually uh, worship correctly. But unfortunately, because of the corruption through the Tower of Babel, they also carried some of that seed from the Tower of Babel into the Chinese civilization. And later with Confucianism, with uh, Buddhism and Taoism coming in, uh, it all got even more corrupted. And you have then eventually uh, the, the evolution of the religions to pray to ancestors, to worship ancestors, worship uh, the eight immortals, the worship of this, and, and many other things. But the, the roots of the Chinese is actually from, uh, from the Garden of Eden, from, from that part of the world. And so we actually have very Christian roots. And to prove it further, um, there is this bronze tree in Guanghan, I can't pronounce that, San Sing Tui, is it? Something like that. Museum in Sichuan, near Chengdu. Uh, if you were to visit it, how many of you have visited that museum? Anyone here? But there is a bronze tree there, very interesting, that was excavated uh, many years ago. And it's dated to the early, it's, it's of a different kind of civilization from the Chinese in fact, it's, it's quite different in culture. And so the bronze tree around 12, 1200 BC, this is uh, before Christ, so it's about 3,200 years ago, uh, is a large life-size fruit tree with life-size fruit. And the fruit of the tree is forbidden 
in a sense, in artistic style because it has leaves surrounding the fruit. Can you see the, the design on the, the right-hand side? It's a blow-up of that uh, a part of the tree. Uh, with leaves surrounding the fruit in the shape of long knives, which communicate two equal, equally clear messages, meaning don't take this fruit. This is deadly fruit. Alright? Now, there's more to it. There is in that tree a fully detailed serpent which still has feet on which to walk and none of the fruit has yet been taken from the tree. So this is a, a design of the tree before Eve ate of that fruit. Uh, because God cursed the serpent and said, you would crawl on your belly and eat dust after uh, the fall. All right, in Genesis 3.14. But this is a, a depiction of the tree of knowledge of good and evil before the fall. The serpent has a deadly knife-like tail similar in shape to the leaves that surround the fruit. Isn't it interesting? In other words, it's a deadly serpent. Artistically, it's, it's communicating that. That this serpent that is uh, on the tree or in surrounding the tree, is a deadly serpent with evil intentions. And a human is actually present at this tree, represented by the human hand with long fingers. Can you see that? On the right-hand side, alongside the serpent's body. Notice it's got very long fingers. Must be a lady's fingers. Yeah? That's how they call that, that vegetable lady's fingers. Because it's long and slender. And, and do you see that long hand over there? And that symbolizes, could that, I mean, it's anybody's guess, but could this symbolize Eve's hand in it? Now, where on earth did they get uh, this concept of designing a tree like this with all these messages, hidden messages in it, if they didn't know about the Genesis account? So it really shows that the Chinese are very much linked to the Bible, all right? And many people say that the, uh, for the Chinese, especially the Chinese government, um, Christianity or Judaism is a, is a Western, it's a foreign religion. But we actually come from that root. Now, another very interesting thing to <laughs> stir you up is could the Magi, the wise men, there are not three, the Bible never says three wise men, it just says wise men from the east. And uh, just because they brought three gifts doesn't mean there is three, three of them. The, you know, somehow Hollywood has changed it to three wise men. But actually, it's a lot of wise men who came from the east, be the Chinese. Why? I mean, there's a lot of controversy. There's no 100% uh, guarantee on this, but some scholars have postulated that the Magi come from the East and the story from Matthew, the Matthew story, seems to indicate that their journey took two years as Herod later has all the male children under the age of two put to death in accordance with the time he had ascertained from the Magi, from the wise men. Now, Herod uh, gave a, a, a margin of error. So he says, all those who are two years and under, kill them all. Because the, based on uh, the wise men telling him how long they took to, when they first saw the star, to come to visit Jesus, to see, meet Jesus, all right, the Messiah. And, and so maybe they might say one, one and a half years or so it took us. And so Herod, just to be very sure, margin of error, said two years will, will, kill, will kill all the children under two years, just to be sure that I get rid of my threat, the coming Messiah, the King of the Jews. And so because of that, some scholars believe 
that these uh, uh, wise men who came on either donkey, camel or whatever, horses back or even walking, would have taken a long, to take two years must be a long way away. So it couldn't be from Mesopotamia, from the Arab countries that we have now because it will only take a few months to get to uh, Bethlehem. But for them to take one and a half years, let's say, all right, uh, you have to be very far east. And the furthest east from Israel has to be from China. And we know that the Chinese were very much into astrology and astronomy those days. And they would look at the stars and, and tell fortune and things like that. And so, uh, it's, it's very likely uh, that the Chinese worshipped Jesus even before the Europeans. <laughs> so, you know, Christianity is not a foreign religion. It's not a Western religion, rather. Uh, but it's, it's very much a part of our soul, of our faith. And, and that's why God is raising up the Chinese now uh, to do something about it. And, you know, Napoleon, I call him Bonaparte, yeah? That's a joke. Napoleon Bonaparte, 180 years ago, over 180 years ago said, and, and this is quite prophetic, I, I thought. He says, when China awakens, the world will tremble. Wow, those days China wasn't a force to reckon with. But he already foresaw that, uh, and during that time, France under his rule was a world power. Um, but he says when China awakens, the world will tremble. You don't have to be a prophet to recognize that the time of trembling has already come to Asia. And within one decade, will probably come to the whole world. China, with its military power, with its wealth, with, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, it's conquering the world in many ways, economically. Uh, it's the, the second biggest economy in the world now. And it's amassing uh, a lot of technology in, and, and weaponry. Uh, it's got a huge army. Uh, so it's, it's, it's something really powerful. Some, the rise of China has... Uh, prophetic significance uh, for the kingdom of God, both negatively and positively. I, I believe every country has positive and negative aspects to the country. America, there are many negative things, like through Hollywood and, and its influences, evil influences, but there are lots of positives about America as well. So in the same way, China too, is China found in the Bible? Well, first of all, I mentioned the word Senite, right? The Sinite that uh, in, in Genesis chapter 10. That's an indication of the Chinese race. But here is another very clear uh, evidence that the Chinese are found in the Bible. The Chinese are not left out of the Bible. <laughs> and he said to me, you are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified from Isaiah 49. I'm reading verse 3, 6, and 12. Indeed, he says, I will give you as a light to the Gentiles. I will give you, meaning Israel, as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. That was God's intention for Israel to be the messenger of God, to be the light to the whole world, to bring the, the, the message of salvation to the whole world. But unfortunately, they failed, as we'll see in a moment. I will make, in verse 11, it says, I will make each of my mountains a road, and my highways shall be elevated. Surely these shall come from afar. The, talking about the Gentiles, shall come from afar. Look, those from the north and the west, and these from, and specifically mentions China here, and these from the land of Sinim, all right? From China, 
will come from afar. This is a prophetic word that uh, God is going to make highways and uh, through the mountains. And, and we have it today. China is building incredible railway lines and highways uh, on the old Silk Road. So we see the old Silk Road here. That's the road that, was, uh, that the traders used to travel on to trade with uh, the Middle East. Um, and, and it's been there for ages. It goes through all these Muslim countries. And it goes even into Antioch, into Jerusalem. Unfortunately, Israel failed God. King Solomon traded with China. The ancient Silk Road, or old Silk Road, superhighway, went from the New Testament port of Antioch to Xi'an. Or those days it was called Chang'an. All right, and but it's now called Xi'an, where the terracotta uh, warriors uh, are, are located. Silk routes also went by sea from Jerusalem to Ningbo in the Tang and Song dynasties. The caravan land went through Baghdad and connected with near, nearly all the ancient capitals from Babylon to Kanbalik. Can you imagine? Beijing was formerly called Khan Balik. <laughs> Sounds like a Malay word, Balik. Balik Kampong. <laughs> there were plenty of ways to get the message behind those vast mountains, mountain passes if Israel had only been faithful to God instead of worshipping idols. See, Israel had no excuse, really, because the avenues were already open for Israel to be a light to the Gentiles, to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. But instead of bringing the gospel message or their wealth and their, uh, the, the secret behind their wealth and prosperity to the world, which is God Himself, bring that message to the world, they kept it to themselves and became self-indulgent. They became, became self-centered. And what happens when pe a people becomes self-indulgent and self-centered? They deviate from God. Because of the wealth and prosperity, they go into complacency. And like the many Western countries that we see, we are in Australia, used to be Christian countries like England, like Europe, uh, America, Australia, New Zealand. We used to be uh, more godly, more Christ-centered. But over time, because of the wealth and uh, development and, and self-sufficiency, we think, oh, you know, I don't need God anymore. I, I'll just look to myself, to my self-preservation and, and um, attend to myself. Me and you and a dog named Boo, you know, that's, that's all there is to life. What happens when you turn inwards, you turn into idolatry. You, you turn away from God and then God begins to depart from you and takes His blessings elsewhere. I heard uh, recently that uh, uh, a saying that God is no respecter of persons, but He is partial. <laughs> that, that seems like an oxymoron. But... The, the reason is this. God is no respecter of persons, but He is partial to people who will seek Him. He is partial to people who will love and honour Him. He says, I will honour those who honour me. I will love those who love me. And He says of Jake, Jacob, He says, Jacob, I have loved, I love, but Esau, I hate. I mean, they are twins from the same family, but yet God says, Jacob, I love. Esau, I hate. Why is that? Is, is God uh, not... Uh, has He got favourites? Well, He is no respecter of persons, but He is partial to those who would seek after God. If we seek God, God will bless you. He will prosper you. I'm not into prosperity gospel, but He will 
bless you in many ways. It may not be materially, but in terms of peace, in terms of family, in terms of health, in many ways, God says He will bless you if you seek after Him. He's partial to those who seek after God. But Israel, unfortunately, turned away from God, just like many of the Christian, so-called Christian nations these days. You can see so clearly. And so God has shifted His attention now to a, a country that would seek after Him. There's another video that I, I, I couldn't show because it was too blur, uh, which shows the revival in China. How thousands and hundreds of thousands have turned to Christ over the years. You know, when, when the missionaries were kicked out of China, there were only, how many? 700. I think it was 700,000 Christians in China when the missionaries left. And without the missionaries, they have now grown to 70 or more, or even 100 million Christians. It's really a work of God and not of man. So, the old Silk Road that I mentioned is part of what you call the 1040 window countries. From China leading all the way to the Middle East and even covers North Africa. The missiologists, the experts in missions have coined this term called the 1040 window has the most unreached peoples in the world. It so happened to be in that pathway of the Old Silk Road. And it's no coincidence. Because as we will see in a moment, uh, Jesus says that He will return when the gospel has been preached to all the peoples of the world, especially to those who have not heard Him. And so the task remaining for the gospel is, uh, this is uh, from the Joshua Project, and of, of the world, there are still 6,000-something unreached peoples. Don't ask me how they uh, work that out. But uh, the experts have somehow worked that out to, to show that there are still 6,800-something uh, people groups amounting to 2.4 billion people. And most of that are Muslim people, all right? And, and, but actually, that number is fast dwindling. Uh, and the unengaged are 3,250, all right? So even if we take the smaller number of 3,000, we still have 3,250 uh, uh, people groups yet to be reached with the gospel. Now, reaching unreached peoples must remain a priority of the church. Jesus stated in Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. So Jesus is determined that the gospel not only be preached but lived out as a testimony to His coming kingdom. This happens when His community of transformed people provide their people group with a witness of what Christ promised coming new age will look like. And so the missiologists basically say that for a people group to be considered as rich, it's not just preaching the gospel today. It's having a viable witness, like a church within that community so that it's viable and it is uh, growing and continuing. That's, that's the definition of a, a people group that has been reached. That's why there's still many people groups where churches have not been planted, where there's no viable witness in that particular people group. So of all the peoples of the world, the Chinese church has taken the challenge to fulfill the Great Commission. I mean, how many of you would if I were to challenge you now, would put up your hand and give up your job and go to Kazakhstan to be a missionary. How many of you would do that? 
Alright? Even if I preach my heart out to you and challenge you and scold you, you would still not do that, right? But you know what? The Chinese church of their tens of millions have risen to that call. And that call came to them some 70 years ago through men of God in China who prayed and heard from God that they need to send out missionaries on this old Silk Road, the 1040 window, to bring the gospel back to Jerusalem. See, isn't it ironic that the gospel was supposed to be brought from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, but Solomon and all these kings failed God, right? They didn't, they didn't fulfill their tasks, and so the gospel didn't go there, and instead they lost their faith, they rejected Christ. Now, God has to raise the Chinese to bring the ends of the earth, to bring the gospel back to them. And this movement is called the Back to Jerusalem movement. And in Chinese, there's a Chinese term for it. Uh, I, I can't pronounce Chuan Hui Yalusaling Yuntong. Is that right? Yundong. Okay. Yuntong. Okay. <laughs> I must learn Chinese. It's a Christian evangelistic campaign that began over 70 years ago in mainland China by Chinese believers to send missionaries to all, not just Muslims, to all the Buddhists, to Hindus, so includes India as well, and Muslim peoples who live between China and Jerusalem. Hence, the devil is not happy that the Chinese people have risen up and responded to the call of God. He sends persecution. And even today, there's heavy persecution on the Chinese church. And, and we receive reports that uh, thousands of churches right now in China have been shut down. And so we really need to pray for the Chinese government and the Chinese church uh, the, the house churches, the underground house churches, and the forbids preaching of the kingdom of God and the second coming of Christ in China's government-controlled pulpits. The dragon, or, or mean China, persecutes the house churches because he is terrified of the end times gospel they preach. This message liberates the people from bondage to their control and is denounced as anti-revolutionary superstition. So in China, they would not allow the message of the second coming of Christ to be preached. And, uh, and, and Christians are consistently forbidden the right to do any public evangelism of any kind. Private worship is reluctantly permitted, but gospel preaching is banned. Directives to the state-owned state-controlled churches warn pastors not to preach the message of revelation of the second coming of Jesus. Pastors of three self-patriotic churches, that means the government-run churches, skip liturgical readings or scripture readings about the second coming of Christ, such as Hebrew, Hebrews 9.28 and Revelations 19 and 22, Sunday school teachers are not allowed to discuss the day of the Lord predicted in both the Old and New Testaments. The Olivet Discourse, meaning the return of Christ and the judgment to come, recorded in three of the four Gospels is forbidden. Many Chinese hymns of Advent, Missions, Judgment and Millennial Reign of Christ are no longer sung in registered Chinese churches. Such music isn't politically correct. So anything that will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and in control and coming back with a kingdom is banned in China because the Chinese government has to be supreme, has to be sovereign in a sense. In a sense. But you can see how the devil, the dragon, is persecuting the church to prevent this gospel from being carried 
by the Chinese missionaries because if he can weaken the Chinese church, then the missionaries going out will be tremendously weakened as well. And you know, there used to be thousands. How many thousands? Huh? No, no. But many thousands of, uh, of missionaries out there. But over on the old Silk Road. But unfortunately, over the years, due to hardship and, uh, and they're not well prepared for it, the attrition rate has been really great and many have been burned out. And so now they only have 1,500 missionaries on the old Silk Road. But you know, the Chinese church is rising up again to stir themselves up to send 20,000 missionaries by the year 2030. In 12 years' time, their target is to send out 20,000, to have 20,000 missionaries on the Old Silk Road in the 1040 window countries. But they need caregivers. And so their target is to raise 6,000 caregivers to support the 20,000 missionaries that will be out there in due course. And so we have been privileged to have Pastor Zhang and Pastor Shen, the top pastors of the underground house churches, to come and have their sabbatical here and to encourage us to participate with them, to join them, to partner with them in supporting these missionaries. And so in September this year, I will be having 50 of these missionaries from Egypt, from Pakistan, Afghanistan, and all these countries. They will fly directly to Malaysia, and we will be running a program for them. And so please be praying for us. We need some doctors who can speak Chinese to come and, and treat some of these missionaries. If you are called to this uh, uh, task, and if you can speak Mandarin, Please come and see me after this, all right? So there is a purpose for God's blessings. And, uh, you know, in Exodus 9, 16, and I will end here. Indeed, for this purpose, I've raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. There is a reason for why God blesses us. For why God raises us up. He says, for this purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. That's the real purpose of why God blesses us. So don't mistake that, that blessing or misuse rather the blessings of God in our life. The purpose of God's blessing in our life is so that He can show His power in us and also that we may carry His name and declare His name to all the earth and particularly the 1040 window countries. So I would encourage you and challenge you today that we need to rise up to fulfill the purpose of God in our life. There is a verse actually, I, I would like to show it. Uh, I, I, I skip this. There is a verse in Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. And so many people, they take half of this verse. They say, God works all things together for, for those. Alright? Works all things together for your good, for my good. But there is a condition. The condition is that we love God and that we are called according to His purpose. In other words, that we respond to the call to fulfill, not your purpose, but the purposes of God for this world. And as you respond to, to do the will of God, to declare His name to the ends of the earth, God promises you that He will work all things together for your good. Can I invite the Chinese uh, congregation, the Chinese uh, home group people, uh, Stephen and Ruth, can, can you all please come forward? I would like to uh, 
pray. I also met this Taiwanese family, uh, um, Jane and Jerry, you know, your family. You are from Taiwan and Chinese speaking as well. And I, I, I met Jane at McDonald's the other day eating some unhealthy food. But, and, and, and she was telling me about her passion to reach out to Box Hill to the Chinese people. And I said, you need to join the Chinese home group. So can you come forward as well, Jane and Jerry, and, uh, you know, if, if possible, their, their kids as well, up to you. I, I won't embarrass you. But uh, can any other, Chen Chi and Cheryl, are you? Uh, oh, you're here. Oh, you're the rep. Okay. Where's Chen Chi? Yeah. Germany. Wow, he's globetrotter. Okay, any other, and also, if you have a heart to, to um, support the Chinese ministry and to support the Back to Jerusalem mission, all right, can you also come forward uh, in a moment? But first, let me just pray for these ones, all right? There's not many of them. But actually, there are a, a few more, right? But uh, we want to bless this uh, home group, this Chinese home group, that God would use them. Come, let's, let's, let's all stretch our hands to them. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this Chinese home group that you, it's a seed, Lord, that you have planted. And I pray that you'll begin to water this seed so that this group, out of this group, Many, many more Chinese speaking in Melbourne itself, in Box Hill, will come to know you. I pray that you open the doors for us to connect with the Chinese community here in Box Hill, whom we meet often, but we, somehow we are not able to bridge the gap due to language or cultural problems. But Father, I pray that you will use us, FGAM, to be able to bridge that gap and to make inroads, Lord. We will not be like Solomon who failed to bring your gospel to the people, but that we will be ambassadors of Christ, carrying your torch and your light to, peoples, to a people group whose hearts are darkened and who have not seen the light. Thank you, Lord, that you have visited your people in China. Lord, the Chinese people have their roots in the Bible. We are the Sinim people. And you've called us for such a time as this to fulfill the Great Commission. So that in fulfilling the Great Commission, the end will come. You will return for this world. Thank you that we can be part of your big plan and purpose that you are doing in these last days. We ask for your anointing on all these Chinese-speaking community here. Lord, anoint them that they will be able to make inroads and connections to the Chinese community and we will see a growth in the Chinese ministry within our church. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.